to the doctor and, and holy crap, it's another tentacle growing out of my back. And I was like, I'm not even from Innsmouth. Are you sure? I've seen the way you stare at people. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> What's it's called the Innsmouth? Oh, yeah, good call. Mm-hmm. You remember that one time we were talking about Innsmouth a few months ago? After you guys had went to the uh, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival? That oh, was yeah. all Innsmouth themed. That was so we much were, fun. And we were like, man, it'd be cool if they, like, did an Innsmouth expansion. Right? And I kept Can't wait fishing for it. for it. Good thing we have the internet. You know? Yeah. Internet. <laughs> I'm fishing for it. Yeah, that's all good. That's uh, that w- that was a joke. They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at least. Alright, welcome everyone to episode 12 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. Can you believe it? It's been a whole year, you guys. Yay! Woo! So, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and joined with me today are my co-hosts. I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Were you waiting for like a formal introduction there? Jeez, this is Nathan coming at you from... Arkham Horror images of madness on Instagram and all the other things I'm not going to waste time with. When you have one second of dead air, it makes people like, it shocks their system and it makes them pay more attention. No, what they're doing is they're like, isn't they supposed to talk right now? This is pissing me yeah, off. And, then and we I lost talk. 13 more listeners. No, they love it. No, I usually just edit it all out. Oh. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a while since we've last recorded an episode, you guys. How are you guys doing? Fantabulous. I actually got to play Arkham solo again for the first what? time in months. <laughs> What'd yep. you play? Uh, is it Point of No Return? Is that the one that's the second scenario to uh, uh, the wake the wake one two A? That's the third one. It's either two A or two B. That's Thousand Shapes. Thousand Shapes. That's the one. That's the one with the unnameable. Point of No Return is three B. Oh. So then the one, that one, Thousand Shapes with the Unnameable, and it was fun. Barely made it out alive. Do you have any, have any time to play anything else? Or you just been, just been working and? Um, no, we've, so I have my Wednesday night D&D group. So we, that's been going on for years. So that happens every week. Rain, shine, coronavirus, doesn't matter. And, (laughs) um, yeah, I just I've just been working and doing a bunch of other stuff and other side projects. So it's everything's kind of taken a, a sidestep to to other things. Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, but I was real happy to play. It was it felt so good to just get on the table again and just do some Arkham. So that was uh, yeah we we uh, we played a virtual game a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. Yeah, and it was my first time playing virtual. Or yeah, yeah, it was my first time playing the virtual. second second time. Well, first, first group, I guess, online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, I, I consider that part of the same game. Man, we got crushed in that game. That was brutal. Oh, yeah. 
That was brutal. It was it was close though. I think that 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 game was super fun. That was one of the most fun games I've had. It was strategizing and just kind of working together. You know, it was a uh, Daisy and uh, t- uh, Tony, Tony Morgan. Yep. And Did you just say strategizing and working together? Isn't that Arkham Horror the card? I, I help me right? out, base. Well, no. There's there's people that I've played with that kind of do their own thing. Kind of like uh, Marvel Champions, you know. They, some people play that way, but yeah, this this was such a good game. I've never been so close to winning that scenario as as that. Yeah, neither game. have I. It's so difficult. I don't know what it is. It, it's either the minus six in the bag, or it's just like keeping this the uh, the strength of the abyss down. That's so difficult. Yeah. Did I tell yeah. you what happened when I played that at Gen Con? I can't remember if I mentioned that on a previous episode, but. I sat down with three other people, didn't know them. We played it for, it was a long time. It was like three or four hours. But um, Matt Newman came over. The Matt Newman, okay. I don't know if anybody else has met him. I met him. All right. Anyway. um, Wow, that was a weird flex. So anyway, he came over. And he's just sitting there kind of bemused watching us. And I was like, uh... What's going on? Like, are we doing something wrong? Uh, several other people had already finished up. He goes, no, nobody else has done the ending that you're doing. And we're like, uh, that could be bad or good. So, uh, but he was like, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people don't do this part, but hey, anyway, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but it was just kind of funny to have him come over and be like, oh, oh okay. The Yeah, because everyone else that does the ending in that scenario is the ending of death. Yep. i'm sure that's what he was getting at so man from lang what have you been up to i've been really busy i've been doing a lot of streaming with uh with nate and by myself and uh been busy catching up i'd uh, bounced off the sinking city uh, earlier so i've been uh, replaying that for my for my let's play channel and uh it's a weird game it's uh I sort of had stopped right before the really the weirdness began and the uh there's a lot of strange characterization in it that uh kind of bothers me. And uh I also what do you mean? Uh it's just the main character he goes through he's uh, he's sort of like there is one point where he's like lecturing one of the main NPCs about his relationship with the town and it's kind of like why are you doing this? Like moments ago you were threatening to kill somebody in cold blood. And now you're being like a, you're, you're talking about this guy's racism and trying to persuade him not to be a racist anymore. It's, it's just very sort of jarring. And then, uh, I've gone through the part where you interact with the mob, which is kind of strange because it's a, sort of wish it was more cultists and whatnot and then you run into the Ku Klux Klan and it's just like this is very very strange Mm. but I'm enjoying it I think I I had to re-record it just because something happened to my previous game and it got deleted but so I'm not too sure how much uh, further I have to go but uh I will uh, continue until it is finished. 
I've also been playing the new uh, Ori game, which is frustrating because I'm not really a platformer. Yeah, those games can be punishing. So I think the first time I've, I'm still working through the first story game for the Let's Play channel, and I'm up to like 600 and some odd deaths. So who knows how many I'll rack up in the uh, in the new one. But I've seen there, I saw there was a new uh, sort of an open world, the King in Yellow RPG game. Yeah. Video game that uh, that sounds cool. that I'm well, video game thinking about trying. Although it's just in open access, and I'm not too sure. It's apparently it has like dungeons you can wander into and whatnot. And but uh, really, I haven't read much. What's about the name it. of the game? I think it's just the Yellow King or something huh. like that. Or I'd have to look it up on Steam, but it's. Uh, yeah, it just came out in uh, in February. Well, look at you being all up to date. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm 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 very cutting edge. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called the Yellow King. Huh. It's a dark horror MMO inspired by the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. Infinite dungeon exploration, boss raids, guilds, PvP, leaderboards, and the destruction of your soul. Oh, so it's like a combat-heavy MMO type thing. Well, I don't know. The The graphics don't really... It sort of looks like Minecraft graphics. Ooh, that's weird. But, uh, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't given it a try yet, probably because it's like $30 or something like that. And it's, it's in early access, which means God only knows what you're going to run into. Yeah, it's got like a RuneScape, like original RuneScape fiber. Something like that, almost. That'd be cool if they came out with like a Zork graphic game. <laughs> so we'll see. I may, uh, I may end up uh, giving that a try when uh, when I finish the Sinking City, whenever that may be. So is it heavily pixelated, like extremely, or is it more like a Stygian, like an eight bit looking type? Uh, no, I'd say it's more. I'm not sure what the name for the the, the the graphic style is, but it's fairly blocky. Yeah, it's like a mixture of like cell shading plus blockiness. It's kind of hard to, yeah, it's hard to describe. But it sort of looks, I'm just watching like a play, this them playing it, and it just looks like a lot of fighting, which sort of, so if you're looking for like an HP Lovecraft investigation game i don't think this is it because it just looks like they're killing a lot of skeletons yeah it's also kind of weird that it's called the yellow king and it's based they're saying it's based on hp lovecraft and not chambers but then it quotes uh no they do mention that it's it's oh, yeah, look uh, at that in the bottom there elsewhere that they talk about that it's inspired by robbie robert w chambers as well so so that will be yeah that'll probably be one of the the next games i take a look at See how it goes. But yeah, I've been making my way through Return to the Dunwich Legacy with Ashcan Pete. And of course, you and I, Nate, have been making our way through the Return to the Path to Carcosa. Unfortunately, we made a fairly significant error in our last yeah. game. So we're probably going to have to replay that, which is not uh, replaying. I don't uh, particularly like Echoes of the Past all that much. So 
having to replay it is no it's not too bad in solo but in multiplayer it just feels like it drags on forever yeah yeah so we'll see the uh we forgot to spawn one of the enemies so that'll that will change the uh scenario significantly so we will replay that and yep other than that that's yeah yeah and what about you, Nathan? What have you been up to? Well, I've been I, I work at a large game store, so recently we've been playing a game called Disinfect All the Surfaces and Practice Social Distancing. Um, which hopefully won't have an expansion coming up. Uh other than that, game wise, uh, I've been playing a lot of Marvel Champions. I play that once or twice a week. Uh I've been playing about three to four campaigns of Arkham Horror. Uh, that's been going swimmingly well. Uh, and by that, I mean, we've been dying and going insane. And then, uh, I've been prepping stuff for, uh, Kingdom Death Monster, Lord of the Rings, uh, LCG, Marvel Champions, and Arkham, uh, just to kind of bling out my stuff and selling some board games because I realized with the four games I just mentioned, I do not have enough time in the day to get everything done so uh yeah all that and a bag of chips so i guess as far as me i've just been so busy with real life stuff um my wife and i are about to close on a house in a couple of weeks so nurse heather yep yep nurse heather and i have been busy closing on a house that we'll be hopefully moving into at the beginning of next month so that's been time consuming and stressful but i have had a chance like man from lang said uh we've been slowly trucking our way through return to Carcosa and I'm going to be starting another, um, campaign on our live stream. Hopefully this coming Monday on the 16th, St. Patty's day seems fitting to play a rogue character on St. Patty's day. And I'll probably also try to promote quarantine con. I don't know if you guys have been on discord or Facebook lately, but, um, yeah, Brian, Damon, Sam, yeah. the people from by the same token, Yep, so it's a love child of, uh, I guess, Brandon from Optimal Play and uh, Brandon from Right of Seeking. Is that is that his name, Brandon? Uh, Brian. Brian David Brian. Sandberg. Brian, thank you. I was like, I knew it started with a B. Um, so yeah, so he's doing. They're doing a bit of a uh, like a contest thing, I guess on on rightofseeking.com that you can check out. He's also doing a pretty cool little write-up thing. Uh, but basically what Quarantine Con is, is there's um, there's an event, and he wants various content creators of the Arkham LCG to um, run through Night of the Zealot, which is the corset uh, campaign, with some, with some extra ultimatums like Wash Your Hands, which uh, makes you include hypochondria in your base deck. And there's a couple other ones too that are pretty interesting, but so I might try to do that, but with uh, Forgotten Age, and maybe add an extra ultimatum or two, just because that campaign needs more difficulty added to it. And other than that, uh, we're slowly still trying to organize another session of Call of Cthulhu on our Discord server too. So if you're interested in playing Call of Cthulhu, you can head over to our Discord server and bother me about that. And what else? I think that's about it. I'm interested in playing Call of Cthulhu. Well, then join our Discord server. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> hey, real quick. If you were to play half a session of Call of Cthulhu, 
Would you go off all half cocked? I think you'd just be a call. Call. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we go ahead and dive into our first topic of the night here. Um, recently, Chaosium released the Cthulhu Dark Ages 3rd Edition PDF, which is pretty interesting. It's um, it's a pretty well-beloved setting. It's set in uh, 950-1050 AD in Anglo-Saxon Britain, which is a pretty cool time era. It's like Vikings and um, you know, like ancient knights and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. But I wanted to kind of use it as a springboard to talk about um, time eras in general in Cthulhu Mythos gaming. And what are some of your what are some of your favorite time eras, guys? And uh, why do you like them so much? Well, clearly the 1920s and 1930s are always interesting because a lot of the mythos stories take place in that time period, anyways. But I think like a lot of a lot of mythos games tend to feel pulpy in that time period. It, it's hard to relate to it these days because we're so far removed from that that period. So things like prohibition and you know that that kind of thing, it, we just can't relate as well to it. So it comes across more like a comic book to me. I think the modern era is really awesome. I think uh, Lovecraftian lore plays really well into the modern era. So. Things like Delta Green being one of my favorite role-playing games. Um, it, it really adds more to the seriousness because you can relate to things. And then technology just adds an extra layer um, of complexity to the horrors. You know, So I think uh, the modern era is, is a really cool place to explore the mythos. What about yours? I have played uh, almost entirely uh, 1920s uh, except for one... Uh, con where we played during the Second World War, which was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I, I tend to prefer the 1920s just because it uh, it uh, I feel that it's 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 uh, strange for us these days to to go back to that era and there was still a an air of mystery about the world. So there's. A lot of you can turn a lot of sort of everyday events into Cthulhu-inspired events without too much trouble. Um, yeah, no, I mean I agree. The 1920s is a fitting time period because, of course, that's when H.P. Lovecraft said a lot of his stuff. Um, but I've enjoyed, you know, the Delta Green type modern-day Lovecraftian uh, stories. And uh, I've enjoyed, you know, reading about the different influences over the course of history. Uh, so, I mean, I kind of like it all. The one thing I, I would say, Vase had mentioned that the 1920s to him felt kind of comic booky and pulpy. But I think for me, when I play the traditional Lovecraftian uh, games, Arkham games, is that that's just another way to add that flavor because you don't sit down and play most games with such a rich atmosphere. Like you don't sit down and play Catan or Cards Against Humanity or whatever. And in, in addition to the game, have all of that like just thick, the music, the time period, the way they talk, the way they dressed, you know, what was going on in that time period. It just adds so much to the game. It's hard to to parse it out and, and to kind of 
separate that from what we're all familiar with. But, uh, but I do like when people are creative and, and come up with different time periods. Um, it would be neat to try some like medieval Cthulhu stuff and ancient. That would times. be pretty cool. Yeah, but not in the D and D way where like people are throwing spells at a. <laughs> Elder thing or, you know, hacking Cthulhu's tentacles or whatever. Well, I did say medieval and not fantastic. Uh, no, I know. That's where I'm differentiating it. So, like, actual medieval versus a D&D type thing. Because back in the day, they they had the, the plow and they had uh, the Black Plague and they had machetes. Mm-hmm. They had machetes. And they were really highly superstitious people, too, back then. And in every... I think in just about every culture, there was so much superstition and and things that were that something uh, really strange and really out there, like a Lovecraft like flat game. Earth, <laughs> exactly like flat Earth, <laughs> like flat Earth is today. Yep, exactly because it's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and just even like the changes, like like you said, face like going from a fantasy setting versus like actual medieval. Um, there's, you know, I think in D&D, it suffers a lot from, like, just kind of magic being this, like, catch-all, fix-all fix problem. Like, oh, I can just cast, like, Sphere of Light over there, and I can see now. Whereas when you're playing it, a Call of Cthulhu game set in medieval periods, like, you have to really consider, like, Torchlight only goes so far. And whatever whatever you're trying to investigate, you're probably going to do during the day when you can actually see. So like like little things like that like make the game much more different than say playing in 1920s or modern day where you have so much more technology at the ready and for your access. Like traveling is also another thing that's a huge difference between all those settings too. And I find it interesting vase that you you find the 1920s 1930s uh time era to be pulpy in a sense because that's really like the genesis of that of that genre is from those, from those types of stories. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fitting. I'm, I'm not saying it's pulpy in a bad way. Like I enjoy it for what it is. And I, you know, I'm a big Lovecraft fan and definitely an Arkham Horror (laughs) card game fan. So I love that stuff and it has its place, but I also enjoy the really horrific, like actually scares you type of horror. And for me, what does that is a modern, modern era one. Cause I think just being able to relate to it more is is what really strikes fear in in someone, you know. So when when I played Delta Green's Delta Green with my D and D group, um, I mean, I could see their faces and like some of them get shivers, and I could see goosebumps on their arms when we play Delta Green. Like it's that, like they actually can feel things happening, you know. So something like that, I I don't think I can get that kind of reaction from playing, say, Call of Cthulhu with them because. They, they feel a little more heroic, like they can shotgun something to death, whereas in Delta Green, you don't have that capability. At least yeah, not to could, the extent. It could be like a difference of systems, too, like game systems, but yeah, I think by and large like you're you're definitely right about that that comparison. And Man from Lang, you kind of feel the opposite way, whereas you feel like stepping back into the 1920s makes you feel like that like there's a sense of mystery in the world which is also true and interesting yeah the only the only other era i've sort of been tempted to to run a, a call of cthulhu game in would be the the wild west but that's largely because i grew up sort of in a my father was a big 
fan of westerns and so i ended up watching a lot of westerns as a child and we had a book series that had uh, a lot of um pictures of the old west so i could really uh, if i could find those books again it would be a they'd be a, a fantastic resource for for creating a campaign in that era and and being able to have like the one of the big things about Call of Cthulhu is having the props and whatnot. So being able to have pictures of of gunslingers or just people and whatnot would be uh, would be great for immersion. And I know that uh, Chaosium has there is a, a Wild West uh, setting that is available. I haven't uh, checked it out, but uh, that would be the the one that I would. Uh, I would be interested in again, just because it's there's enough. Uh, there's still a lot of mystery in the world, and so uh, you can have sort of everyday, ordinary events can take on horrific proportions with just a little bit of a twist. Where I feel with something like a modern campaign, you'd have to to work a little harder as a game master to. Because you can just, I mean, things like cell phones and whatnot make it so much easier to communicate and, and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are definitely hurdles that you have to get over as a as a game master running modern era games like that. Um, Nathan, if you had to pick one setting outside of the 1920s to play a Mythos-inspired game, what would you pick? I would like to. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of modern day stuff, and I've played and dealt with a lot of the the era stuff. So I would like to try something like medieval or ancient, because, like Vase said, it would deal with superstitions and 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 what have you. But it would be interesting to see in what ways the mythos bled itself into the budding cultures, or you know, dark dark times. Yeah, I definitely feel that way too, and. There's a lot of like ancient religions and like poly and monotheistic things that are going on that are, you know, not even probably in recorded history too. So that's a lot there's a lot of inspiration you could take to develop a mythos game in that time era. Uh for me personally, I like the medieval period and I also like the Victorian gaslight period. And like going into like eighteen nineties Britain. Yeah. Ooh. I think with a lot of a lot of stuff that Lovecraft was inspired by, or like even, even delving into stuff like Robert W. Chambers, because that gives More you gothic time period. Yeah, yeah, it gives you access to things like Arthur Conan Doyle and you know Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper. And, and what was that? You know, What's the, the RPG uh, for that time period? Is it called Gaslight? Yeah. Yep. Cthulhu Gaslight. Yep. So there's there's a lot of cool settings that you could uh, potentially develop a, a mythos game for. No one mentioned space. Or future, and there are a lot of stories like, um, uh, well, Lovecraft had a couple of stories that that dealt with like futuristic space uh, travel in the Walls of Syrix, and, and I know there's a couple as well. And um, uh, co- uh, what's his name, Smith? Uh, Clark Ashton Smith. Clark Ashton Smith has a ton of stories that that deal with that with like space travel and futuristic, more futuristic Lovecraftian uh, mythos stuff. And I don't know that there, are there any games that are like, 
like a cyberpunk, but mythos or, or even more feature, more like space travel, but mythos related. There is, um, there's Cthulhu Icarus, which really gives me, um, really reminds me of aliens. It's basically like, it's set on a, um, on a space station, like outside of the orbit of the moon, I believe. And you're like, you're sent there to like investigate the last known survivors of the space station. But I think other than that, there's, um, the only other future setting that they really have is like a post-apocalyptic setting where (laughs) the great old ones have conquered the earth and the last known humans are like, you know, just struggling to survive. Cthulhu city. Is that what it's called? That one? Is it a? I think um, it's a call of Cthulhu. Oh no, it's a. That's Trail of Cthulhu. Trail of Cthulhu. Yeah. Yeah. There's also uh, there's also Mothership, which is a, a sci-fi horror RPG. It's been doing really well for sales and won uh, an any I think this last year. Really? Oh wow! Really? Which it wouldn't uh, take too much to. I'm not sure what kind of horror it is. I'm I'm not. I just know the name, but. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't take very much to incorporate mythos-related horror in that mm-hmm. in that sort of game. Yeah, mm, definitely. There is um, there's out. also a couple of space missions for Delta Green too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there are, um, but they're not futuristic. They're more like uh, NASA, you know, type thing. Which they're really cool how the, how they were how they were done, but yeah, it's not it's not quite like a futuristic that I know of. I haven't seen any that are like that. Yeah, um, but there's so much um, there's so much source material you could draw from to do a futuristic Lovecraft campaign. Yeah, that's true, and you can mix genres too, and it's really interesting. Uh, Man from Lang mentioned the uh, the Wild West, and I hadn't I hadn't even considered the Wild West for Lovecraftian stuff, but it reminded me when you were talking about it. Um, have you guys seen a movie called Bone Tomahawk? No. Well, um, just a brief thing. It's like a Western horror film. It's not Lovecraftian at all, but it very well could have been with just a few minor tweaks. And I think something like that would really lend itself well to like uh, mythos related stuff. So I recommend you watch that movie. It's, it's very like brutal and creepy. It's really good. During the winter of 1927 slash 28, Officials of the federal government made a strange and secret investigation of certain conditions in the ancient Massachusetts seaport of Innsmouth. The public first learned of it in February, when a vast series of raids and arrests occurred, followed by the deliberate burning and dynamiting, under suitable precautions, of an enormous number of crumbling, worm-eaten, and supposedly empty houses along the abandoned waterfront. Uninquiring souls let this occurrence pass as one of the major clashes in a spasmodic war on liquor. Keener news followers, however, wondered at the prestigious number of arrests, the abnormally large force of men used in making them, and the secrecy surrounding the disposal of the prisoners. No trials or even definite charges were reported nor were any captives seen thereafter in the regular growls of the nation. There were vague statements about disease and concentration camps, and later, dispersal in various naval and military prisons, but nothing positive ever developed. Innsmouth itself was left almost depopulated, and is even now only beginning to show signs of a sluggishly revived existence. So on recent live streams, FFG revealed that Arkham Arkham Horror 3rd Edition and the Arkham 
LCG will both be traveling to Innsmouth. So I thought we could spend some time and discuss Innsmouth uh, as a location, the lore behind it, the people that live in Innsmouth, and what what sorts of uh, types of enemies we could expect to see um, going into a campaign for for Innsmouth. Um, what are some things that you guys that you guys like most about going to Innsmouth? I think um, Innsmouth is is so different because we haven't had anything that's like uh, very like coastal or you know port type town uh, locations. So I think it'll it'll be really cool to see how they do. Well, I guess we had Carnivale. I guess that's a, kind of pretty similar uh, in terms of like the setting, but. Um, I like I like the creepiness of the people just having features like fish like features, but they're not fully horrific. It's just like something's really odd about that person. Their eyes are a little too big, or they they it seems like they have gills. So those kind they of smell things, weird. They smell weird. Yeah, those all those little things, or they have weird things that they little sounds they make or whatever that just give hints that something isn't right. And it's just about everybody who lives in in Smith. So when you're there, it's like there's just this ominous feeling of of dread, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that I think Insmith is a really cool location, and uh, knowing the Arkham people, I think they're going to do a really good job with it. The Arkham people. I wonder if there's blowguns used. So um, I forgot one obvious thing. We're going to get Silas's trident finally. I've been waiting for that puppy. His trident? What? No, the fact that we got his alternate cards in the novella. Now we get to get his trident with his actual character. I'm kind of excited about that. I want to spear some people with the trident. I believe it's a harpoon. Is it a a harpoon? I believe it's a harpoon. So you're talking about a trident. It's completely different. It will now be a trident. You're you're thinking Aquaman, I think. (laughs) Um, no, he's from undersea. He's got a, a redheaded girlfriend. Uh, he's from a lighthouse. Oh, you're right. That's Silas. And fi- oh, shit. You're right. You're right. Uh, for those who don't know about Silas Marsh, he was a bonus uh, investigator that you, you could get when you buy the novella for uh, Silas Marsh. What, what's the novella called again? The Deep Gate, I think. Yeah. Deep Gate. So whoever bought the Deep Gate got the Silas Marsh investigator with some alternate uh, signature cards. So his actual investigator card shows uh, what his actual signature card names are. So everyone's kind of been wondering what they're going to be, what they're actually going to be like. And Insmith is a perfect place for Silas Marsh to be released. Oh, definitely. And like we've said in previous episodes too, it seems like they've been hinting that we'll be going to Insmith for a while now with uh, Tony's weakness. The quarry is a deep one enemy. Um, and they, you know, they touched on the Silver Twilight Lodge, so it was only a matter of time before they dug into the esoteric order of Dagon. Not to mention the core set has some encounter cards that we haven't ever used uh, that all are kind of touch on Cthulhu and Deep Ones. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. But we can definitely expect to see the esoteric order of Dagon, and they worship the Mother Hydra and Father Dagon, and to an extent Cthulhu. So we're definitely going to see Dagon, right? Or are we definitely going to see Cthulhu? Do we think it's time for Cthulhu? Uh, I think I think they're going to showcase Dagon because you can you can't really insert Dagon into other 
uh, arcs or, or campaigns as easily, whereas Cthulhu could be at the Mountains of Madness, or they could do another nautical one, or... I mean, because he can kind of get around. I don't know. Well, also... It might be both. Also, it could be both. Yeah, I was thinking what, what you just said. Uh, because the current cycle... Spoiler alert. Hey, we said a spoiler alert before we spoiled it. So the Dream Eater cycle um, has Atlet Natcha. Bless you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it does have a, a lot of uh, Nyarlathotep in there, too. So we kind of got both, in a way. So maybe they'll do the same thing in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Like maybe like Cthulhu is like working with Dagon or something weird like that. Yeah, like yeah, like not necessarily fighting Cthulhu, but like we could feel his presence in one way or another, like through encounter cards that have to do with his, you know, dream effects and things like that. Mm-hmm. I suspect they might save Cthulhu for like a relay themed. Like a, a global spanning uh, campaign where you end up in relay as opposed to... Because I think you could do some interesting things with the locations in a place like that. Whereas I think Innsmouth... The thing I like about Innsmouth is where Arkham is... Arkham and to a lesser extent Dunwich are sort of friendly towns to investigators uh, Innsmouth is definitely not. And so you're, I mean, the stories have the, the protagonist is basically alone against the entire town. Yeah. Very good point. And, uh, the town being run by the Marsh family. So I assume we'll see a lot of the Marsh family play a role and, and, uh, devil's reef and and whatnot but i think they could really evoke a lot of yeah a lot of uh creepiness by by basically pitting you like a lot of the locations being unfriendly and and uh very overwhelming odds when you're when you're in the town as opposed to a place like arkham where people are a lot friendlier yeah definitely um yeah you could eat like there could be like a whole scenario just based in the Gilman house, for instance, where you're like just trying to survive the night and people are like trying to trying to get into your room, you know, like part of the story. Yeah, of- they, they did something like that for I don't know if you've played Mansions of Madness, but one of the I think it's in the main box, the big box, uh, the first one. There is a, a scenario set in Innsmouth, which is very similar to how the story unfolds where you're you're in the in a hotel and then there are mobs roving around outside so so you could uh, I'm sure we'll see something like that where you're where you may need to escape large groups of of uh, deep one hybrids and whatnot mm-hmm. another thing that we could potentially see too as maybe a story asset is the weird iridescent crown thing that's um that's in the uh, historical museum that the guy goes to in the beginning of the story yeah but Innsmouth is also about about sort of degenerate families as well so perhaps there's some sort of they'd be able to work in in that sort of angle where the investigator is 
the investigator's past is involved. Certainly, I mean, with somebody like Silas, that's that's easily and easily enough to do because he is a marsh after all. Mm-hmm. But perhaps they can work that in, regardless of the investigator that you're playing. That that maybe you, I mean, maybe maybe as part of the campaign, you slowly. Uh, come to the realization that you're part deep one and that you're and that the weaknesses that you're adding to your deck are um play into that that would be cool i'd love to see that yeah like some mutations or or at least uh <laughs> kind of like the curse of the rougarou but spanned out over a course of a, a campaign yeah yeah something like that where the i mean in the curse of the rougarou you get cursed I mean, you can have the curse in your deck at the end, but this would be more sort of a slow, um, you'd be just adding stuff slowly over the course of the campaign. And I mean, maybe the campaign, um, you win if you don't succumb to the temptation to to flee to the sea or something like that, as opposed to... Yeah, that's cool. And then it just kind of scales over time. Yeah, as opposed to like beat up um you know like it seems like a lot of the campaigns that we've had where it's just like okay now is your showdown with haster now is your showdown with nyarlathotep now is your showdown with that laknacha whereas this could be less of a a showdown against a against a, an enemy and a showdown with yourself to see whether you actually um shake off that that in's mouth curse or not Make it more per- make it more personal rather than sort of more like what with what they did with with Path to Carcosa, where it was the the conviction and doubt. At some point, also they they would have to go to Arkham because I think Matt Newman said on multiple interviews that since it's called Arkham Horror, they wanted to include the locations of Arkham at least at some point in in most campaigns and. I mean, although in the standalones, they don't really do that. But in all the campaigns, we've at some point, we've gotten back to Arkham. But I wonder if in this one, they're going to start in Arkham, maybe in the initial deluxe expansion, and then transition into Innsmouth for the remainder of the campaign. It's possible. It's also possible that we could even go to Kingsport, too. And you could, like, start in Kingsport and then go from there. Um, in the in the live stream for the third edition board game, they had mentioned that there there will be scenarios from from both Innsmouth and Kingsport in in the third edition board game. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Kingsport make an appearance either. Yeah, but for me, Kingsport has always been more closely related to the Dreamlands than like I would have expected us to go to Kingsport as part of the Dream Eaters campaign, not. Uh, not the Innsmouth conspiracy. I agree with Face. I think we'll probably start in Arkham and then make your way to perhaps there's some sort of you'll the beginning would be like you some sort of family relations or whatnot and you you're investigating that and then that leads you to to Innsmouth where you realize the horror of your family. Yeah, it's definitely definitely possible. I guess we won't know until until the set's officially released. But as far as um, as far as investigators or potential player cards that we could see, do you guys have any speculations about stuff like that? Well, I think they've been hinting that Kate Winthrop is going to be coming mm-hmm. sooner than later. 
Silas seems like a pretty clear lock for the survivor slot. Or maybe they'll do what they did with Circle Undone and have two survivors. That mm-hmm. could certainly be a possibility as well. And throw in Silas as a bonus. What about Norman? Maybe have two Seekers? Yeah, Norman. I thought I thought Norman would have been coming out in the Circle Undone just because he's you know, he's the mathematician and related to space, which would work with, you know... I think he'd be for, like, a slightly more cosmic one, maybe? Yeah. That would be one that could incorporate Cthulhu and be like, you know, the stars and blah, 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 they indicate this location off the coast is has activity... I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like he would fit. I don't. I don't see. Uh, I don't have a guardian in mind that would that would sort of easily uh, easily uh, fit into into uh, Innsmouth. But maybe some kind of a cook who's good at fish frying. Well, they already have Zoe. What about the spy? I don't know that she'd be guarding necessarily, but. No, I suspect she'd be a rogue. Mm. Trish Scarborough. Trish Scarborough, yeah. I mean, they could also, if, they're, if, they, if they go the family angle, I mean, there's a lot of sort of those old money characters who you could have. Like, there's the butler. Is it Carson? Is the butler? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, they've got, like, I don't mean Charlie Kane, maybe, but... Charlie Kane seems weird, a weird choice, but although he's a fan favorite, I want I want him soon. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because the I mean the setting is doesn't really lend itself to to sort of a to many of the characters that we have left. Besides, I mean Silas is the obvious one, but then after that, it, it feels pretty pretty wide open as to what they. But then, I mean, when they released Dream Eaters, I mean, if you had asked me then, like, which investigators were going to be in that box, I would never have said Tony Morgan. That's a good point. I thought that would be a Smith one for sure. <laughs> so who knows, right? It's like I probably would I would not have said Tommy. I would have said Luke Robinson for sure. But then after that, you know, I would not have said I wouldn't have chosen. I don't think any of those any of the. uh the investigators that we got you bring up a really good point i don't think that the investigators always fully correlate with the setting or with the campaign setting because yeah i mean otherwise we would have had um hamburger jack or what's his name jack something uh, hamburger jack. in the in the uh forgotten age like and he's even mentioned in it so you mean monterey jack? monterey jack monterey jack uh, <laughs> now forever now called Hamburger Jack. I oh I still think that it would have been amazing if halfway through that campaign you stumble across him like he's in a, a pack and then you can like just have him at that point. But how cool is that for an intro? Like where you rescue him or or he saves you and you're like, boom, investigator. What? That, that would have been cool. awesome. I wish it would have something like that. Yeah. Hamburger Jack, just out of nowhere. Yeah, I think in hindsight they might have considered adding both Ursula and Monterey Jack in that expansion if they did it over again, like they did with Circle Undone, adding Marie and Diana. But he also would be a really good, like when they do another, not necessarily jungle, because they've already done that, but I mean, but another expedition. 
I mean, he would be a, yeah. a natural. I mean, Egypt is is pretty rich. Yep. There's a lot you could do with That's with true. Egypt. Or maybe the globe spanning. You know, if they they wanted to do like a globe spanning relay thing, or masks of I like the globe yeah, spanning. Yeah, you could see him. You could see yeah. him. In he that. also could be mm-hmm. in mountains. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. But uh, what about the salesman, traveling salesman? He could be anywhere because he travels, right? Yeah, actually, he would make a pretty good Innsmouth investigator, um, Jenkins. Yeah, Bob Jenkins. Leroy, oh, Bob, Bob Jenkins. Jenkins. I could definitely <laughs> see him. See him in in a in an Innsmouth expansion. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Jacqueline too. Because she can like. You know, being a psychic, she can see into your past. Ah, she can see that potentially maybe yes. you're a deep one. That's that's she really be, good, actually. She could be a mystic. Um, yeah, I think I think it was you, Nate, who had mentioned that the the Barkham Horror investigators or the Barkham Horror dogs may have their investigator counterparts coming up sooner than later. Yeah. I think Jacqueline is one of those. I think Agatha is another one. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh. So I wouldn't be surprised to see those those investigators make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they did that with Tommy, so True. it's possible. Um, let's see, as far as... As far as other investigators, though, they did also recently reveal for the Arkham 3rd edition Stella Clark, the letter carrier. Um, Not that we're uh, active players of Arkham 3rd edition, but it is an interesting interesting topic to bring into the LCG, too. Um, She is a primary survivor class investigator, so... So there's potential for her to have shenanigans with like discarding cards or or movement like Rita does. Um, her her front abilities both uh, involve movement and she has a decent willpower. So I'm not really sure how much we can really speculate about Stella, but there is a potential that Stella could also be in the set too. But it's you know it's really good news that we got a new investigator announced because that means that they are working on creating new ones. I've had a fear that we're going to run out of investigators at some point. And we're, once this Insmith uh, expansion comes out, we're down to like maybe three expansions away from running out. So it's good that they are working on getting new investigators. And this one is kind of, uh, kind of interesting because she's the first trans investigator in Arkham Heart of the Card Game. What's the name of the lawyer? Barnabas? Uh, I have the list pulled up right here. I can find out in just a There's second. a lawyer. Uh, George be, Barnaby. George Barnaby. Yeah. He might be, he might be a possibility. Yep. We're doing uh, really well with names in this episode. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that too, Man From Lane, because he actually, when he appeared in second edition, he appeared in the Innsmouth Horror. That's right. So. Yeah. The other investigators that appeared in that box were Finn... Akachi, uh, let's see, Agnes, Vincent, Trish, Yorick, Zoe, and Harvey Walters are the other ones. Hmm. So we've we've already seen most of these. We've seen Zoe, we've seen Yorick, we've seen Agnes and Akachi, and Finn. So yep, George and Hank are possibilities as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really hard to say just because I mean. 
who would have picked Akachi to be in the path to Carcosa? I mean, certainly, certainly not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So I probably wouldn't have either initially. They, they, they can pretty much throw anybody in there and, and justify it. So, and apparently, I mean, they've, they've probably made investigators for all of the, all of the characters. It's just a matter of when we see them. It probably won't be Dexter since he's he's coming out in the book, and I believe it's next month he'll be released. So is it really next month? I thought they'd wait until May. Yeah, well, they've got a lot of products come. I mean, they've got the Innsmouth Conspiracy. They've got this new product that they're going to be announcing on. Is it Thursday? The nineteenth, I think. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. So there's that product. They've got Barkham Horror. They've got Return to the Forgotten Age. They've got like they've got a pretty heavy release schedule here in the next couple months, which is good and bad if you're a, a content creator. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I just realized I had pre-ordered Barkham Horror from my local game store that closed. So. <laughs> There goes that. I'm going to have to reorder it. Darn. Well, good, th- good thing you'll have the chance to do that. I was about to say, I also know a store. Well, hopefully they're not sold out. I'm going to have to search that. I'm personally very excited to punch deep ones. <laughs> That's always fun. So uh, I wanted to give people plenty of time as a heads up this year. Um, Last time I kind of sprung it on people with a couple months to go, and then I got all the wheels turning pretty quickly. Uh, This year we'll give people a lot longer uh, to prep. We are looking at doing Arkham Horror Beneath the Waves Session 2, 2020 version, and I believe I'm looking at October 24th and 25th. So two days instead of one day. Um, and as soon as I, I get everything fully turning, it's going to be pretty massive because I reach out to a lot of content creators and um, I try to get a lot of fun things in line and it's a lot of work. So I've kind of been slow rolling that <laughs> since I decided I would do it in on the dates. Uh, but, you know, I'll be getting together with the people here in the podcast and talking about ideas I'll be getting together with Vase, who's local, uh, so that we can start planning that. But um, I've already reached out to Cole Monroe Chitty, who did the artwork for the first one, and also did some art for Man From Lang, about getting a new sign that I'll post up and make it official on Facebook. So anyway, that's that's going to be coming up towards the end of October. So if anyone's in the is going to be in Portland or wants to come visit for this event. It'll be two days of just pure Arkham horror fun. And we do, we try to make it a festive, memorable experience. Yeah. Last year was, a, was a blast. So if you have the chance to make it out, uh, what was that? October 23rd and 24th. I thought it was 24th, 25th, but I'll double check. You're probably right. Yep. 24th, 25th of October. And that's a Saturday, Sunday. So yeah, um, we'll have more details as the date gets closer, but, but for now, uh, stay tuned. Um, so as people have seen on my, uh, Instagram, Arkham horror images of madness, uh, I do like to bling out my game when I can. 
in the past, I've said one of the quickest ways to do so is just getting little hobby trees. For most hobby stores, you know, it'll be from like train train shops and, and that kind of diorama. But uh, another thing that you can do, you can get custom pathways. There are some great pathways from, you know, buy the same token, of course, always has good stuff in acrylic. Um, Miles, uh, is it Arbeck? Arbeck? I keep on remembering the name of his company is Arbits, but his actual name is like Arbeck, I believe. Um, he's got some cool uh, fiberglass slash metal uh, movement things, but my original set was like a, a garden pathway type hobblestones, cobblestone type thing. Anyway, uh, having custom pathways is cool. I have little benches, statues. Um, I've got um, some gravestones, which I use, especially for like the midnight masks, because they talk about going to the graveyard. A few houses. You don't have to make it uh, ridiculous like I do, but uh, crates are, are a good thing to put on the side of locations. Basically, it's however much you want to sink into it. But, you know, people are like, how long does it take you to set up your stuff? It takes about 10 minutes because you just, boom, put out your trees, put out the paths, put out a few things here and there. I got, I've got some lights from, um, I think, Department 56 is where I got them online. And, I mean, they're 20 bucks, but you put in the battery and light those puppies up and you bring a whole new level to your setup. So... Just as a heads up, if anybody does want to know more about how to accessorize and and develop more of an atmospheric setup, uh, you can ask us on our Discord. Uh, you could also email me directly, jadeforest, the number four, at gmail.com. Um, or you could just ask questions on various Instagram pictures or on the Instagram channel. Switching topics from something that most people don't do <laughs> sorry Nate what was oh, that no you're good you're good I just had a little bit of a uh... <clears throat> you're good <laughs> just a little bit of a uh-huh. <laughs> um, anyway switching topics away from my glorified and obviously over the top setups um, I was going to cover in the mansion of madness which is a bark uh, pardon me which is a book by Mark Teppo uh, he is a Portlandian gentleman who is awesome. He came in one day and said, hey, I have this book that I wrote. And I'm like, what? What's that? And he said, well, it's it's a, a book based on kind of the Cthulhu mythos and it's got a strong flavor of, of uh, Delta Green, but it's the Night Office uh, series that he's doing. He's already said he's working on another book. And I tell you, I... I read it a few times because it's a choose-your-own-adventure set pretty much in modern times here. And I was like, I'm not going to recommend this to people or do any type of a giveaway until I test it out. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, There are roughly, I believe, 60 ways to die, five ways to win. Um, And you start off and you open it up and it says it's the Asset Resource Management uh, PAE-138-B for internal use only. So it's very much like a, a field manual 
on what people in modern day would have to do if they worked for some kind of like basically like Delta Green. Um, it's written in a very candid way. There's f bombs. There's all kinds of things like, you know, what the hell? Screw this. Uh, it, it just feels very natural. It feels very modern, and like I've done it. I've done like four or five variations on the main path to go through the book, and every time I do so, I'm like, holy crap! He thought of all this, and now there's this this new area to explore that I wouldn't have even thought to to look for. But I was going to read a very quick excerpt from the book uh, as you were doing it here, just to give you all an idea. So you show up, uh, you show up as part of a team. There's, a, I believe, an opener and a closer, and then another job that people have. So there's usually three people that go investigate a, a location. Uh, it starts off like this. You're late, Pearson says. He's waiting for you on the dark porch of the Zelford estate. It's a cloudy night, and the light from the street slashes through the stark branches of the trees in the estate grounds, leaving pale marks across the front of the foreboding mansion. Pearson gets the fidgets. You can tell by the acrid cigarette haze enveloping him. He hand-rolls them, using some noxious foreign tobacco. Makes you think of old tires and autopsies. Etc. Etc. So I mean, obviously, the flavors there, um, the choose your own adventure aspect is is very well done. The it's not meant for kids. Obviously, there's several comments that are just like whoa, but it's very funny uh, at times. But more to the point, it's um, it's a fun read, and I'm very grateful he pop- popped in because being able to share this with my store uh, customers, being able to share this with you that are listening and and of course giving away a copy seems like the next best step so for anybody that's interested in getting a free copy of in the mansion of madness by mark teppo you can simply write to carol fern the botanist uh, where we have our dedicated legion of i think it's what a thousand some volunteers yep. carolyn carolyn uh, fern that, the botanist not carol fern that's what I said. said. Carol Fern. Oh. This, there's a theme well, in this episode I of ruining it out names as... for everything, apparently. <laughs> Carolyn Fern, the botanist. So, if you just write to Betty Crocker, the cook, um, no, Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com. Uh, and we have a lot of people that monitor that email address uh, that let us know the moment we get something and they track us down. If we're on vacation, they hand deliver a note. If we're sleeping, they send somebody to wake us up. I mean, it's a very cutting-edge process. I've use. gotten a notice from them like seconds before an email comes in. It's I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. Multiple shugas are involved. The Minority Report Division. <laughs> yeah. But well, speaking of Carolyn Fern, the botanist, we uh we did a we did a contest on our last episode, and Vase, we have a winner, do we not? We most certainly do have a winner, and uh, sorry, let me. Uh, Go back to the Carolyn Fern the Botanist Society email. and Did you say Carolyn Fern the Botanist at gmail.com? At gmail.com, yeah. But for those who don't remember, uh, we had asked uh, listeners of the show to come up with their own custom investigator and uh, signature cards. It was a question posed to us by patron of the show, Yusi. 
So, Vase, if you're uh, if you're ready here. Well, uh, before I announce the winner, I'm gonna give a uh, honorable mention to David, who submitted an investigator called Juan Piedra. Juan Piedra. It's a little stone. It's a piedra. Uh, rogue, and he's a bank auditor. Uh, six health, eight sanity, and he basically. Um, he's a rogue whose stats lend him more towards kluving versus Tony Morgan, who's more like a fighty rogue. So this guy is like a, I guess, a corrupt bank auditor since he's a rogue. And uh, once per round, when he discovers a clue, he gains one resource, similar to like Milan, the taboo version of Milan, only it's not restricted to investigative checks. You can gain a clue using a card that gets you a clue for free and you'll still gain a resource. And the Elder Sign is a plus one. You spend two resources to discover a clue at your location. His signature card is Natural Analysis. And it's a skill card with two intellect pips. As an additional cost, spend up to three resources. If you succeed by one or more, gain twice that many resources. Kind of like um, Watch This. And the weakness is Crippling Doubt. Uh, revelation put into play into your threat area. You cannot discover clues, which is extremely brutal. Uh, didn't really submit a backstory f- or, or any kind of flavor information for him. So uh, that's why Andrew is the winner, because he did go above and beyond with that. <clears throat> Basically, Andrew submitted an investigator, uh, and he gave a tremendous amount of like lore and backstory for him. And that investigator is uh, Art Kinney. He is, I'm assuming, Irish, because he gives me this entire... Um, backstory on uh i guess they're called uh where is this navvies the navvy they're basically people back in england who worked on like railroads they were like drifters and kind of uh labor workers type of stuff and this guy's kind of a tough guy he's one of those drifter workers so in a way he's kind of like ashcan pete but he's more of a loner so he doesn't have a dog and he basically um, works on his emotional baggage by getting into fist fights. So he's very fighty as well. Um, so he has a really high combat of five. And uh, I'll read some of his cards. So his investigator card, he's Art Kinney, the laborer. Two willpower, two intellect, and five combat, three evade. Drifter um, trait and... It's a reaction when you use a fight action on a card. If the card you're using does not offer a combat bonus, it gets a plus two to combat. So all those cards that do bonus damage but don't give you a combat bonus now work really well in Art Kinney. His uh, Elder Sign effect is a plus zero, but heal one damage or one horror. And now that uh, we reveal his Elder Sign effect, his main kind of theme uh, mechanically is that he, he uses damage and horror kind of as a resource so he has access to a lot of cards where uh you can take other people's damage or other people's horror um or you can use damage or horror to do certain things so his deck building requirements are uh deck size of 30 survivor cards level zero to five he's a survivor neutral cards zero to five up to five spirit cards level zero to two and up to five melee cards level zero the other thing is he the theme for this investigator, he's not like a, a firearms type of user. He's more like a hand-to-hand combat. So he he wants to use a lot of like uh, the machete and the meat cleaver, that kind of stuff. 
And his signature cards, he has two signature cards and one signature weakness. The weakness is a treachery, lost innocence, flaw. Uh, when it, when it's revealed, you take one horror, discard any cards that heal horror or heal damage from your hand or play area, which is brutal for this guy. And if you have less than 20 cards in your discard pile, you shuffle this card back into your deck. And he has two signature cards. One is an asset, two-cost asset that doesn't take up any slots. It's called the History of Violence. Two combat pips, fast. It's a talent and melee traded. Uh, fight action, after a successful fight action with a melee card, exhaust a History of Violence and take one damage to deal one additional damage to that enemy. And this asset also has two, a two-damage threshold, so you can, you, know, you can use it to tank a little bit. So... What this does is those three health enemies, it makes them a lot uh, easier to kill. If you're chopping with the machete, you do two damage, and then you can do an additional damage and kill a three health enemy with this card in play. The other signature card is Repressed Memories. It's a two-cost asset with two willpower icons with talent trait. Reaction when you investigate, exhaust Repressed Memories and take one horror. You, your location gets minus two shroud for this investigation. Or you can... Use a different reaction after you discover a clue, exhaust repressed memories, take one horror and discover an additional clue. And it has a two horror threshold. So very cool, very interesting mechanics, very interesting backstory. The mechanics work really well with the backstory and the lore and the theme of this character. I really enjoyed reading this guy and it, it seems like a really solid investigator to play with. Um, I don't know how balanced it would be. And, you know, um, Andrew also states that he's he hasn't actually had a chance to test play him, but uh, I'd be interested in hearing what you know how this guy does in in scenarios and how this these mechanics work along with him. So Andrew's our winner, and uh, good job. This was an amazing, amazing investigator. We'll post it up on the website on the show notes, all the information about him. He did make custom card images for him as well, so we can probably post those up as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So congratulations to you, Andrew, for rising up to the occasion. So if you could just go ahead and uh, send an email to the Society of Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com with your shipping information, we will be sure to get your art print out to you. Yeah, I'll reach out to him and tell him he won as well. Nice. Very cool. I mean, our crew, our crew that manages the email address will reach out to him. Yeah, I was about to say, don't don't give it away. We need to make sure we look professional. Our people will talk also, to your people. Um, I don't know if people follow uh, what I was doing on the Arkham Horror, the card game uh, Facebook post, but I also did um, make a fan-made investigator on that as well. And uh, I had several people uh, respond to that, which was fantastic. Uh, Matter of fact, I had somebody local win. I think he submitted three or four Different investigators, all pretty well thought out. And someone goes, hey, what about this? And on the fly, he just made uh, made one for somebody who asked. So it was just like ridiculous. And that was Michael Hawkins. But I wanted to, to touch on this because we have somebody who um, did a lot of cool stuff. It was Jesse Pekka who did the Benny Wise one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made that character... He submitted that character to mine, and then he's also been doing some run-throughs, I believe, of Dunwich on, um, uh, what do you call it, 
on the way well, he's been linking it up on the Facebook group too. But I mean, that's just taking your idea and really running with it. So I just want to give a, a shout out to that as well. In addition, of course, congratulating Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so big shout out again to Andrew and to UC for uh, for winning and uh, submitting the question uh, respectively. Yeah. That it, it was fun. Did you guys get to work on a custom investigator at all? Uh, I mean, I did a custom Kate a long time ago. I so recall, I didn't, but I didn't want to do another one. The but, rule uh, was no existing investigators. Yeah. So. Mm. So you screwed up there. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to make one for Vase. I think that would be fun to to like. Fashion. He'd be too much of a badass. I have to make one though. for him, and then like he would just win. And, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I th- that might be his weakness. <laughs> Hubris. I'm a badass. That just shows him like doing two thumbs at himself. Uh, that would be fun to play at uh, Beneath the Waves. My custom vase. Uh, we should each. Think you know it. what we should do? We should each make a custom investigator for for one of the other people on the Great Old Ones. So. Oh jeez! You could do one for me. I could do one for Nate. Nate could do Man from Lang. Man from Lang can do Nathan. And then, then we'll play them at Beneath the Waves. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> custom team with the Great Olds. <laughs> Not be balanced at all. All right, I'm gonna make Man from Lang's really good if that's the case. <laughs> five intellect, five combat, no weakness. There we five go. evade and five everything. Yep. No Elder Sign ability, though? That's balanced. 12 health, 15 sanity. <laughs> <laughs> Who said the, the cap was nine? Yeah, right? Well, also, I was thinking about to, to really get a sense of how these deities are compared to humans. Because people are like, oh, yeah, in, in uh, D&D, I'll go fight a dragon. And then people play Call of Cthulhu, and they're like... Oh, if I if I ran up against Cthulhu, I'd just go fight him. So I think it'd be fun to show a stat line that shows like, okay, well in Arkham, this person has a five fight. That's pretty good, right? Cthulhu has a three thousand two hundred, and there's no auto fail. So good luck with that. Before we kick things off into trivia time, I did quickly want to uh, give a special shout-out to the Esoteric Order of our patrons, and a random shout-out this episode to a one Pontus Peterson. Pontus, uh, thank you very much for your support. The first episode of our ongoing Called Cthulhu campaign, Floatsome and Jetsome, is actually now available as of the recording of this episode for our patrons, so if you want to check that out, you can check that out there. As always, if you want to support the show, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash thegreatoldonesgaming, and you can pick a tier and get rewards. It's pretty cool. Thank you, patrons. We really appreciate you guys. All right, cue the music. Uh, Okay, is everybody ready? Should we get a, a sound off? I, I secretly am hoping for a certain person to win today, um, but I'm not going to say who. But, all right. So I have dun, 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 10 questions to ask, and I basically have these sorted into various piles. Uh, one pile goes off the picture, one pile goes off the pips, and one pile goes off the quotes. And they're roughly evenly distributed. 
As always, dear listeners, uh, good luck to you. I know you all know the answers. We're just making it look harder than it is. Um, if you feel you are entitled to a prize, make sure you email carolynfernthebotanist at gmail.com and tell Vase your case. Uh, there's a chance he might send you some. Okay, so here we go with the first question. Uh, and I have everybody's scores ready to tabulate here on my phone so I can actually keep track and not make it up. All right, uh, for the first card, we're doing Lucky Dice. Uh, exceptional item relic for the rogue tree. Uh, in the picture, what number is shown on the top of the dice? Five. Is it seven? Six. I like how everyone said a different number. It makes it easy. Vase, you have one point. All right. One of the numbers is a burning three. The other one's a burning four. All right. Good job. Good way to start us leading out the I play dice gate. games. I know what's a lucky one. <laughs> <laughs> I played dice <laughs> games. All right. Next one's going to be a quote. Calloused hands and a determined heart were all she needed. First aid. I know that's not right, but I think it'd be a good quote for that card. Think of a picture that involves uh, something that would have calloused hands. Hypochondria? <laughs> All right. Is that it for the attempts? Yeah. First aid is yeah, my I guess. Don't have, I don't have a guess on this. It's one. All right. Uh, I don't know if you remember Perseverance or Perseverance. Mm. Uh, shows someone climbing up a rock face. Calloused hands and a determined heart were all she needed. Uh, and just to let everybody know, that's a fast play when you're assigned damage and or horror you, that would defeat you. Cancel up to four of that damage and or horror. All right. Tough one. Here we go. Let's go ahead and go over to a pip. Flamethrower. Everybody's favorite Ooh. thing that throws flames. How many pips and what are they? Two combat. It's two combat and one willpower. Three combat. All right. Everybody did a really solid job getting close. It is, in fact, three pips, or three icons, I apologize. Two of them are combat. One is a wild icon. Mm. Uh, mm. Right? Very close, though. You did better than I would have do. You know, I, I will point out that, once again, Alex Trebek always seems smarter because he says the answer like he knew it. I don't know if I would know any of the questions I asked if I weren't looking at the card. But I don't have to worry about it because no one else does trivia. All right, next one. Thermos. Uh, shows a thermos with a, it looks like maybe soup uh, in the lid. Can someone tell me what else is in the picture in the background? Oh, man. Oh, I should know this. Was it I a compass? I really know this. Pretty sure it was a compass. Is it a map? Uh, it is a compass <laughs> if a compass were different than what this is. Oh, why do you get my hopes up? <laughs> so, like, there's there a bag in the background, I think. So we have a bag and we have a compass. I mean, they're both correct except for Pills and a syringe. Anybody else? I think, Pills a, and a syringe. I think it's books or something like that. Man from Lang what? Books. Okay. In fact, it is a lunch pail, black with a handle. <sighs> Solid guesses. But inside Next, of it, there's a compass. We're going to go with the... Actually, I'm going to go ahead and give you zero points for that one because that doesn't make any sense. All right, next one. Inquiring Mind um, has how many pips? 
three, three wild. wild icons. Fantastic. The problem is this one um, is a quote card. <laughs> if we wish to learn, we must first question what? Ourselves. Knowledge. So dramatic. Uh, if we wish to learn, we must first question everything we know. Oh, that was my second All right. I apparently need to, to start off next quiz next time with name one of the classes that investigators can play. <laughs> that is not a question, by the way. All right, here we go for the next one. This one is a picture question. Brother Xavier, our favorite pure of spirit uh, ally for guardian class um, has he's holding two objects in the picture what are they a cross and a gun it's a cross and a bible um, a cross and you guys you already said the two I was going to guess two crosses he walks around with two crosses <laughs> <laughs> it's just Double crossing it. Uh, nice. I'm going to have to have him be my favorite investigator that uh, or ally that crosses the line. Um, he is, in fact, holding a gun in his left hand and a Bible in his right Ooh. hand. Man, i got to make these questions easier. All right, hold on. See what I can do. So All what right, you're saying is it. if I would have combined Man from Lang's answer and Nate's answer, I would have gotten it right. Yes. Oh. I honestly thought you might have done that. <laughs> I considered after it. After they both said their answer. Both, all good answers. Once again, you're all doing better than I would have done. I'd just be like, what? Is that a card? All right, here we go. We're going to go with icons on the card. We have our favorite uh, icon from Survivor, Take Heart. Mm. Can you name the icons? There are no there are icons. None. Man from Lang, point. Face, almost a point. Good job. All right. I know that was a trick question. But hey, at least we got people on the board. Uh, We have another picture question here. It is the Mystic Card Sacrifice. Costs zero, one pip of experience, one willpower icon. In the picture, she looks to be about to do a sacrifice. With what weapon? A goat. It's a, a knife. knife. Uh, I thought you were going to ask what, what she was sacrificing. The weapon, exactly. A sacrificial knife. It's a ceremonial dagger. Man from Lang, you are the one who didn't answer yet on this last part. Any guesses? Oh, what does she have? Yeah. In her hand? Yep. Um. I can't remember. I know she's got a knife and probably something else in her hand, but I can't remember. Well, <clears throat> the answer is a kukri. You would not expect the kukri to be like a Chris dagger or a sacrificial knife, but it is in fact a kukri. And I thought that was interesting because people already hate the kukri. <laughs> All right. Here we go for another quote. The body is but an extension of the mind. Mm. Yes. It is a mystic card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does take up a hand slot. Mm. Sign magic? Correct. Oh, wow. Boom. Wow. Point for Nate. I was going to have to start doing some red hot chili peppers. It's a dead heat now, isn't it? 
It is a dead heat. Very appropriate for this game. Uh, I guess we're going to do a tie break on icons, everybody, because I'm holding the last card here. This last card is from the Seeker family. It does very much sound like Vantage Point when I read it out loud. It's an inside card. How many icons and what are they? It has one intellect and one agility icon. Boom. <sighs> Nate, <sighs> killing it. He almost said it like he pulled it up while I was talking. That's just because Nate's the only person who plays that card. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. And true. Wow, yeah, sorry. So those questions are tough. I think next time I vow to have very straightforward, easier questions. So it's just a matter of speaking faster instead of uh, necessarily trying to come up with a correct answer. Uh, Nate, you are the winner this week. Go ahead and write to Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com and we'll keep getting you something. <laughs> he gets a new house. Hey. By the way, while we were doing trivia, I was looking at the Investigators of Arkham book and Trish Scarborough is probably going to be in Wait, did, did everybody hear that just now? Did everybody mm-hmm. just hear what just happened? Multitasking. While he was supposed to be completely focused on trivia. I, I'm sorry, Vase, did you win? No. Did you win that one? But I had Google playing for oh, me, so Nate must be really good because he beat Google. Um, so Trish Scarborough, in the Investigators of Arkham book, she is investigating the esoteric order of Dagon and comes across an, another order within Innsmouth. So... More than likely. And the the new cards that came out, what's this set that just came out? The Where the Gods Dwell? The what ones that we were going to talk about today. You mean the one? It was it that one? Yeah. So there's, yeah. A, there's an ally, a rogue ally in there that she's a syndicate member. And you get the Garrett wire. Spoiler warning. Um, and the Garrett. We're saving that for next episode. We are, but... We're not going to talk about those cards other than they're pretty fitting for someone like a spy. Only a spy would say that. Yes. And Matt Newman has said that they do hint at future releases within the current cycle with some players. Yeah, but Matt also said he's never heard of Vince Smith before, so. He also said he's never heard of Trish Scarborough before. Hmm. Mm. Weird. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if we can. Well, he take also him said as, that his favorite his ally is, in fact, Juan. <laughs> Juan? Yeah, there can be only one. Remember then? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Henry don't Juan. don't oh, quote God. me on All this. Right. If you well, ask, that's him, where this episode is going. But trust me, Matt Newman's favorite ally is Henry Juan. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's episode. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with my fellow co-hosts. I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And I'm Nathan Early, rounding things out. Jester of the Abyss, maker of not very good food, and uh, pleasure to be on
I sincerely hope you're going to edit that out. I will.